Let's look at that third way, the last thing that, that Christ does to reveal himself in the Old Testament. Key point number three. Jesus was promised in the Old Testament. And that is prophesied. The prophecies of the Old Testament serve as evidence that Jesus is the Christ. So here's what we have. Three ways that Jesus reveals himself in the Old Testament. A Christophany. It's a physical manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way is typology. It is a representation, a type that is going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And then the third one is a prophecy. It's pointing us to something that he is going to do in the future that's going to affirm that he is, in fact, the Messiah. He is the Christ. So let's look. Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 has been given a name. That verse is called the Proto-Evangelium. It just simply means this, the first gospel. This is the first gospel verse in scripture that points us to the to the gospel it's the first prophecy in the bible that tells us that jesus is going to be born of a virgin how do we know that well look closely the phrase between your seed and her seed should stand out to you That is an unusual phrase. Why? Because women don't have seed. Women have what? Eggs. Women have eggs. So what's the purpose of this phrase? It is a prophecy to declare that one day a child is going to be born without the seed of a man. And that's why the doctrine of the virgin birth is so important. Because it's the very first evidence that God is going to use that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ. So what happens? What is this one that's born without the seed of a man? What is he going to accomplish? Look back at verse 15. He shall bruise your head. Some of, these, some of your translations might say crush. It might have a, he's going to have a blow to your head. He might crush your head or bruise your head. The idea here is that it is a fatal blow. It is a fatal blow to the head. In contrast, you shall bruise his heel. Now, if someone's going to take a baseball bat and hit you in the, in the heel or the head, which one would you rather have? Well, neither. But if you're going to get hit in the head with, with a baseball bat, that's more likely to be fatal than a blow to the foot, right? The picture here is that the crushing of his head is Satan. That Jesus is going to have a fatal blow to Satan. But Satan 
is doing nothing more than a temporary bruise on the heel of Jesus. Have you seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? It's an incredible portrayal of the events of Passion Week. And I thought about showing this clip, and then when I watched it, I was like, man, that's so intense that it was just, it was a bit much. But there's a scene in which Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Satan is nearby, and he's watching. And the camera pans, it shows Satan's face, and then the camera pans down, and then it shows this snake crawl out from the robe of Satan, and it crawls toward Jesus. And Jesus continues to pray unfazed. And then he stands up, and with the heel of his foot, he crushes the head of the snake. What does all that mean for us? Well, first it means that God desires to dwell among his people. He always has. He has created us to dwell among us and desires to have that relationship. And we see it throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 3, we see the second person of the Trinity walking in the garden. It's interesting that some people have suggested that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are nothing more than myth. The problem with that is if all of that's just a myth, then Jesus' coming would have been a myth, would have been not necessary. Romans 5 tells us that sin and death entered the world through one man, being Adam. And by one man, meaning Jesus, gives victory in life. So if Adam were just nothing more than symbolic, then Jesus' death would have been unnecessary. But second, God has chosen to communicate to us in ways that we can understand by giving us pictures. He gives us types that point us to Jesus. And then third, God has been faithful to every single promise that has been prophesied throughout Scripture. Each prophecy stands as a testimony to the authenticity of Jesus' claims. But before we wrap up, let me just show you one more thing that shows the grace and the compassion of Christ. Because again, I think a lot of times we have this idea of the Old Testament as, you know, well, the God of the Old Testament was mean and, and uh, Jesus comes and Jesus is, is compassion. Can I say that God has always been compassionate? Listen to these words. This is, this is picking up verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So there was another tree. We have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and this was the one that they were told, don't eat of it. But there's another tree here in the garden. They call this one the tree of life. And eating from this tree allowed their physical bodies to live forever. 
It would have sustained Adam and Eve to prevent them from aging. It would have allowed them to live perpetually in the Garden of Eden without death. But now they're in a sinful state. Sin has entered their life. And Jesus, because of the compassion of Jesus, he doesn't want them to enter into eternity and eat of this tree and then be burdened with sin forever. So what did he do? Kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. Seems harsh. What did that do? Well, because they were no longer eat to eat of this tree, they began the process of aging. They began a process of dying. They began to physically die. But it was for their protection. So what happened to the tree of life? What did they do to it? Where is it? Well, listen to Revelation chapter 2. This is the apostle John. He was given a vision. Verse 7, he says, He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He relocated it. He relocated the tree. He sent cherubim to guard it and said, make sure Adam and Eve don't get back here. Make sure that they don't need this in their current state because they're sinful. They don't need to go into eternity. And he sent them to guard it while Adam and Eve left. When Adam and Eve left, what did they do? They removed the tree and put it in heaven in paradise, in the presence of God. What an incredible thing. Now listen, Revelation 22. In the middle of, the, of a street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Every single month there'd be a, a different fruit on this tree. And we get to eat of it in heaven. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to, to eat of the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. One day, I get to eat from that tree. One day. Not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus showed up in the Garden of Eden to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus physically shows up, that's his purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. He then made atonement for my sin, but not in the way that he did Adam and Eve in that day in the garden. He did it by shedding his own blood and he conquered death and the grave by his death on the cross. The gospel is so obvious in Genesis chapter 3 that something happens in my heart every time I see it and I see Jesus. One last thought, and then let's pray together. 
the story of redemption is not a cliffhanger in which we have to wait to the end of the book to see who wins. No, Jesus was declared the winner from the outset. Let's pray.